Our scripture this morning is 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Kate. So um, I haven't preached in three weeks, which is the longest it's been, I think, since 2018. Um, and so I, I led Jeremy astray. I got, I got us a little out of order. I said, Jeremy, dismiss the kids. And I, I jumped the shark there. So thank you all for, uh, for being flexible and, and, uh, and, and being adaptive, even though I, I led Jeremy astray. Guys, it has been a blessing to have a bit of a break, and I shared just briefly last week, it was just a wonderful experience to to have the opportunity to go with my wife to Israel and to see the Holy Land. It was refreshing, and what I loved about our tour and and the opportunity that we had, our guide was not particularly sensational. He just walked us through the Bible, and we got to see the Bible come alive, And there'd be places where he'd point and say, this happened there, and that happened there, or at least over there. And I got to tell you, it was like, okay, it's not just some story. This is real life. This is history. History you can walk through. And it was amazing. And you're going to hear me say that often, probably for the rest of my life. And so I'm going to lay this challenge out to you all. Go. Go. Not because you're going to have some magical encounter with Jesus because you can have that wonderful experience with Jesus right here in Springfield, Missouri, but because the Bible comes alive. And being able to rest on that, on those days of darkness and days of doubt, I've been there. I walked that street. I saw where that happened. It's just wonderfully affirming for the faith. And so I just wanted to to lay that all out for you guys and challenge you all. If you can make it, you should go. Okay, so I want to go ahead and and jump right into a text today that comes from Luke, even though Kate read for us from 1 Samuel. This text comes from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33. And it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. Keep that in mind. What's his house? What's his line? He comes from the line of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him, what? The throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Now, last fall, right as school started, we began working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And just like we see right here in this particular passage, we saw and have seen throughout the series so far this theme of the kingdom of God weaved through the gospel story. Now, not just the gospel of Luke, but this is true of all four gospels. And not just the four gospels, but the entire New Testament. And not just the New Testament, but the theme of the kingdom of God is weaved throughout the entire story of the Bible. So right here in this particular passage, we see that Joseph, the adopted earthly father of Jesus, was of the house of David. And then we see the angel tell Mary something, that the throne of David will not depart from her son, Jesus. I just want you to think about that for a second. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, is set around the symbolism of David. Now, how familiar are you guys with the story of David. David gets the title, A Man After God's Own Heart. But have you read the story of his life? Train wreck. This was a man who sinned, sinned often, and dare I say, by human standard, he is one who sinned quite hard. And yet we see that God works through King David to where David is set up to be this prototype of king. And i got to be honest with you, it it bothers me a little bit. Why David? I just, one of my favorite stories in all the New Testament is the story of the blind man being healed. And when that blind man is being healed, he calls out, Son of David! Have mercy on me. It is a messianic title to be the son of David. We see that that, that, uh, uh, Paul presents Jesus as the offspring of David. Acts chapter 2 presents Jesus as the better David. It feels a little off. And yet seeing Jesus as being more than what even the best king of Israel could be, is a wonderful example of just how great the kingdom of Jesus is and will be. David is but a shadow compared to the greatness of Jesus. So this summer, I want to do something a little different. I want to take a break from the Gospel of Luke. And what we're going to do for the next 10 weeks or so, and you know how I roll, or so. We might lean a little heavy into that, I don't know. But uh, the next 10 weeks or so, we are going to look at David. And we're going to dig into the story of the guy who God calls a man after his own heart. It is my hope that as we look at David as king, we see just how much we need Jesus to be the king of the universe. And how Jesus is the only one 
who can truly be the king we need. But in typical Brandon fashion, as much as I want to start out with David, you can't start there. You can't. So today what we're going to do, before we get to David, probably in a couple of weeks, is we have to lay a foundation. We have to lay a foundation or understanding of what's going on when this King David comes on the scene. And believe it or not, believe it or not, it doesn't start with the story of Saul. You think, all right, if we're going to tell the story of David, we have to tell the story of Saul. But really, if you're going to tell the story of Saul, you have to talk about something that happened in the book of Judges. So I want you guys to think through the story of God's people. That God's people were in Egypt. Then Moses comes, and Moses, by God's grace, there's the ten plagues. They're led out of Egypt, and they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Then Moses sins against God, and Moses is not allowed into the promised land, and he dies not in the promised land. And Joshua becomes the leader of God's people, and he marches across the Jordan River into Jericho, which I saw. Guess what? You can't visit the walls of Jericho. You know why? They're, they fell down. So uh, we, 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 we see that uh, Joshua takes God's people and marches into the land and has conquest over the land, but Joshua himself dies. And we have this in Judges chapter 2, and it's a long passage. We have a couple of long passages to read today. But I want you to listen closely to what's said in Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 10. And all that generation, that's Joshua's generation, also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And the Baals were the Canaanite gods, the local gods before God's people came in. And they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them to the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from their hand, the hand of their enemies, all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Now listen to this. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or stubborn 
ways. Man, that's a long passage. That's a long way of saying for hundreds of years, they just did whatever they wanted. They did whatever they wanted. And the Lord in his pity would see them oppressed and see them hurt. And he would send a judge to rescue them, to point them back to him. And for a time, some of them would. But then every time, every time, they went right back to what they wanted. And this is the last verse. Listen to this. That's how Judges starts in chapter 2. Listen to how it ends in the last verse of the book of Judges, verse 21, 25. Chapter 21, verse 25. It says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's how it ends. How hopeless. There was no king. They'd forsaken the law. And they did whatever they wanted. Now, when we think about that, all right, I get to do whatever I want. Like, that's a dream, right? That's a dream. I get to do whatever I want. Except that's not what we're called to. And that's not where true life is. We see as they did whatever they wanted, they found themselves lost in distress over and over again. And in that desire to do whatever they wanted. They decided they were going to make an exchange. They were going to trade in the God of Moses. They were going to trade in the God of Joshua. They were going to trade in their deliverer for something else, for something in the image of man, for something that looked just like them. And as what we read earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 8 comes comes about, what do we see that they did? They said this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want to be like all the nations. What do we see in Judges chapter 2? They went after other gods from other people who were around them. These people, God's people, they said, I want to be like other nations. And as a, as, as a man, Samuel, who ended up being the last judges, this, this hurt him. This hurt him, and he felt like the people were rejecting him. But I want to go back to what we read earlier from 1 Samuel chapter 8. I want to read you guys verse 7 and 8. I want you to see this. What does, uh, what, what, how does this exchange go? The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. God's people had forgotten who led them out of Egypt. He'd forgotten the one, they'd forgotten the one that, that sustained them in the wilderness. They'd forgotten the one that had given them conquest over the land. They forgot it all. And they said, we want to do what we want to do. And God said, fine. Fine. That's what you want? Fine. Now, Deuteronomy 17, a passage we're going to read in just a second, was a gift that God had given Moses while they were still wandering in the wilderness. He said, I know you're going to want a king someday. And let me tell you the kind of king you're supposed to have. And I want to read this to you again. It's another longer passage. But I want you to see the kind of king. Wanting a king in and of itself is not a bad thing. But what kind of king were they supposed to have? 
Look at this in Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14. It says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you <clears throat> giving you, and you possess it, and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Now, okay, we saw the same language. We want a king just like all the, the nations that are around us. Now, God begins to give a caveat. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. So who gets to choose the king? The Lord. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the, command, from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Now, if Israel was to have a king, this king was supposed to be a man who trusted in the Lord. This king was supposed to be a man who helped the people follow God. Even though this king would be a man, he wasn't supposed to be a king like all the rest of the world. He wasn't supposed to be a king like the world knew kings. He wasn't supposed to trust in horses. He wasn't supposed to trust in riches. He wasn't supposed to trust in women. But what was he supposed to trust in? The law of God. He should not fear man or lift his heart above his brothers or try to please people over God. Instead, he should be a servant of the people, a man under the law, changed by the law, transformed by the law, living the law as an example before his people, leading them back to God. But what was that last verse in Judges again? What did it say? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So in 1 Samuel 8, the people were not interested in appointing a king who would lead them to the law of God. They wanted a king like all the other nations. They did not want God's vision for a king. They wanted their own version of a king. So they took something good, and in their sin, they substituted it for something else. Now, I want to take you guys back for a second to the New Testament for just a minute. And I want you to see a principle of God that Paul makes plain in Romans. And I think we see the same principle at play lurking in the background of 1 Samuel 8. Paul warns the people like this in Romans chapter 1. 
It says this, starting in verse 21. Now I'm going to be skipping around because I want you to see something. I want you to see the exchange and I want you to see how people are given over. Okay, it says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and what they do? They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts, I'm sorry, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, what's it say in verse 26? God gave them up to desirable passions. And we see it again in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. I want you to think about that mindset, okay? Romans chapter 1 paints a pretty vivid picture for us. If we continue to resist God, if we continue to to make this exchange for our ways over his ways, if we continue to do what's right in our own eyes, then what happens? God will turn us over to that. It's as if God says, are you sure that's what you really want? And because if, if it's what you truly want, then you're going to get to experience the fullness of all the consequences that come along with it. If that's what you want, you don't just get the sunshine and daisies. You get everything that comes with it. Church, we must understand that there is a huge difference between what we as humans want and what our Heavenly Father knows that we need. There is a huge difference between what we want and what our Heavenly Father knows that we need. The Israelites in 1 Samuel are not looking for a king like we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Instead, they are looking for a king like all the other nations. And God says that in doing that, they are rejecting him. The fact is, these people do not want God to rule over them. How do we know that? For generations, they have rejected God's laws and done what was right in their own eyes. They want to exchange the glory of an immortal God for the image of a mortal man, their own desires as they set up a king like them. And so, God gives them a king. God is the one who appoints Saul as king. Saul is the kind of king that the people deserve. Listen to how Saul is described in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bichorath, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite. Now, how's he described? How's Kish described? A man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. 
There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now, this is who God chose to be king of Israel. All right, God gave the people exactly what they wanted. He turned them over to the desires of their heart. And they get a king who is the son of a rich man, who is very handsome and very tall. He looked the part. Hey, this is me in Israel. I'm 6'2", and that's a doorway. I just want you to think about that for a second. My head is higher than the doorway. These were short people. So as he was a taller than all the rest, he was probably only six feet tall or so. I just thought that was cool. I wanted to show, you're going to get those periodically now. I hope you're welcome. <laughs> right, so that's not what a king looks like, okay? But that's, to them, that's what they were looking for, the son of a rich guy, somebody who was good looking, somebody who was taller than everyone else. They wanted someone to look the part. They wanted the best version of a human king. But Deuteronomy 17 showed us that a king's job, listen, hear me, hear me, as we, as we look at the life of David, as we talk about the kings of Israel and the foundation of the monarchy, we cannot lose sight of Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17 showed us that a king's job was not to be the best human, but to be a king that was faithful to the Lord and pointed God's people back to God. That was his job. More than taxes, more than armies, more than building projects. What was the job of the king? To lead his people back to God. To take that word in, for it to be impressed on his heart, for it to be lived out, and for his authority to be exercised in such a way that it called the people back to God. That's what the leadership was for. But that is not what the people wanted. And so God gave them a king in their own image, and that of Saul. Now it's important to know as we next week look at the life and, and reign of, of King Saul that God set Saul up for success, just like he did his people. And yet what are we going to see in the life of Saul? He did what was right in his own eyes, and it cost him the kingdom. He made himself the authority. He did what he wanted to do, and his life was turmoil. So this is where I want to end today. We cannot make the same exchange. We cannot substitute God's truth for truth made in the image of man. What do we call anything that's other than the truth? A lie. We cannot exchange God's truth for the lie that this world has to offer. And so Jim helped me this week as we talked about the sermon. He helped me formulate this nugget that I want us to remember, okay? And that's this. Be careful wanting anything that takes God off the throne. Be careful wanting anything else that would take God off the throne. What did, what did God say in, in 1 Samuel 8? They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. 
to put something up in their own image. We must, as God's people, be careful that we don't substitute anything for God on the throne of our lives. Today's Father's Day, and I don't want to miss an opportunity to address you dads. Dads, on Father's Day, we're often overlooked. It's a second-class holiday. I get it. I know. Okay? But here's the thing. We are kings of our own domain. Amen? It is our house. We're the king. But what does Deuteronomy 17 tell us we are supposed to do as leaders of our kingdom? If we say we want to be kings, which you guys know I'm just saying tongue-in-cheek, what is our job as fathers and leaders in our home? What's our job? It's to live out these principles in Deuteronomy 17. If you're the dad, if you're the leader, then where must the word of God be? It must be impressed on your heart. Now maybe, maybe we need to go back to the legalism of these kings who would literally write out a copy of the law by hand. Y'all want to write like Genesis through Deuteronomy out by hand? We could do that. No, we want to take that word in, right? We want it to be in our hearts, just like we read in Deuteronomy 6, right? That it's a part of what we do, that it's on our hands, that it's on our foreheads, that it's on the walls of our house. Maybe literally, but probably figuratively, right? Where it's a part of everything we do. Where when our kids and our wives see us, they don't see something exchanged for the throne of our hearts. But they see God firmly seated as king of our hearts. And that as we lead our home, we lead as God leads us through his word, lived out before our families. That's what he's called us to do. That's what leadership is about. It's not about, it's not about doing what you want. It's setting aside your desires for God's desires for the best blessing your family can receive. Now, I want you to think about those kings, those kings that were warned about. What did, what did the father say? He said, don't chase after horses. Guys, horses is a symbol of power. It's not our job as leaders of our home to be pursuing power. He says, don't acquire a lot of silver and gold. That's money, that's wealth. Dads, it's not our job to accumulate a bunch of wealth. It says, don't amass for yourselves lots of wives. That's a sure and certain way to an early grave. But also, I think that's a symbol of pleasure, right? Husbands, do not pursue pleasure. Pursue the Lord. And all these things will be added unto you. He's going to meet your needs. He's going to meet your needs. He is to be the one that's on the throne of your life. If you are prioritizing power, pleasure, and wealth over the word of God. And that's the kind of king that the Lord rejected. And fathers as leaders in our home, that is not the kind of dad we want to be. So as we enter our time of response, I, I want dads in particular, but all of us in general, to ask ourselves a few questions. Have I done anything to take God off the throne of my life? Am I using my position or authority to seek after things that other nations value? Things like power or wealth 
or pleasure. I want you to think about this. Roman 1, Romans 1 tells us to be very careful. God may very well turn us over to those things. Those things will always fail us and will lead to our destruction. Instead, he calls us to follow him, to walk in his ways, and hear me on this, because his ways are better. He doesn't want to take good things from us. As a matter of fact, he doesn't want us to be deceived into a substitute. He wants us to know that he has something better for us. We're going to see in in Saul's life how pursuing power leaves you empty. We're going to see in David's life how pursuing pleasure leaves carnage in its wake. And although this study is not a study of of David's son Solomon, we could look at his life and and show you how Solomon ends up uh, saying pursuing power, wealth, and pleasure, all those things are totally meaningless. So what I want you to do today as we respond to today's message is just use this time. Tell him. Tell him you want to serve him. Ask him for help. Ask him to change your desires. Ask him to help you give up a pursuit of power or wealth or pleasure. And tell him you want him on your throne and nothing else. So as we sing this song, the altar's open. Whatever burden you need to lay down before the Lord, it's here. And if you're here today and you think, sure, I can lay these things down, but what do I pick up? I want you to know that that is found in following Jesus Christ, the ultimate king. Where David failed, Jesus did not. We would love to tell you more about what it is to place your your faith in the Son of God, King of the whole world, who died for your sin and rose from the grave. Would you guys pray with me? It's in your Father, we uh, we, we pray today in your name. Lord, we ask that you would come and, and meet with us, that you would challenge our hearts, that you would keep us from making a, a grave exchange, that we would remember the thing that you've offered is better. Father, that we would want you to be king of our hearts. Speak to our hearts today. Help us to see the ways. Help us not to be deceived, Lord, but help us to see the way that we're pursuing wealth or power or pleasure. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness to lay those things down before you, that we would see the destruction that came upon your people as they pursued themselves. Father, I pray that uh, you would just give us clarity of heart and mind. Give us humility that we can see who you are, your greatness and your goodness. And help us, Lord, to be totally reliant on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.